You are listening to show 15 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brennan Hull and Thomas Castelli here with a special guest, Matt Terrio, who has an interesting story. He went from a seven-figure per year income as a music industry executive down to a $7 per hour job bagging groceries once digital downloads displaced the music industry. But he's since turned it all around and now owns an expansive real estate empire and is the host of his own show, The Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast. We're going to talk to him about all that today and how he bounced back. Before we do, I just want to remind you to go ahead and check out our knowledge base by navigating to therealestatecpa.com as it will help you find answers to your tax questions. Also check out our blog for the latest articles and our YouTube channel for great video content. Matt, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me, Thomas. Appreciate it being here. Brandon, thanks. Absolutely. So Matt, give us a little bit of a rundown of how you got into real estate and where you're at now. Sure. Yeah. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I spent the next 15 years of my life in the music business, did really well. And then that drastic little digital download came along and just kind of turned the whole industry upside down. And within six months, I found myself divorced, bankrupt and bagging groceries. So it was uh, happened really quickly. In hindsight, it's really clear what happened. But at the time it was happening, no one had any idea. No one knew that uh, something like a Napster would have that much of an impact on an industry so quickly. So I was bagging grocery for six months, having the world's biggest pity party. I was 34 years old, by the way. So I was well entrenched in my career and thought that's what I was going to do the rest of my life and couldn't believe where I had ended up. And there wasn't a whole lot of demand out there in the job world for you know an out-of-work music entrepreneur. So about six months or so went by and I just realized, wow, I've, this is, uh, if I don't do something about this, this is my future. And the grocery store manager, coincidentally, was also 34 years old. We were the exact same, same age. He'd been bagging groceries there and, and worked his way up to management since he was 16. So he was only two years away from receiving like 80% of his pension. And we had a lot in common. We talked a lot. And he just kind of shared with me one day, he says, Matt, if you want your life back, and I've had this quote, I've said it probably, I don't know, a thousand times since. He said, if you want your life back, if you really want the money, you know, real estate is the final frontier where the average person has a legitimate shot at creating some real wealth. And I was like, yeah, I got to learn something new and I do miss my money. So I'll put those two things together and uh, we'll make a run at this real estate thing. And he introduced me to a little book. You probably never heard of it called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And uh, that book just kind of opened my eyes to the concept of passive income and pursuing that over piles of cash and a big fat bank account, which is what I did in the music business. You know, I was just like money, 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 money. But I was only as good as my last release. And as technology advanced, even with the making of the music, not necessarily the, the distribution, like the shelf life for what we did got shorter and shorter and shorter. So we didn't have a lot of residual income coming from that music. So there wasn't any cash flow. And so that book is just like, okay, I got the simple formula. I never want to go back to bagging groceries again. I never want to repeat this process and start my life over again. Let's pursue this passive income thing and let's get that to a level where it's above my monthly living expenses. And then we can go ahead and start allowing that passive income to create this pile of income or this pile of cash. And that's what I did in about just less than four years. I was able to do that. 
and started this company, Epic Real Estate. And it turned into three different branches where we show people how to do what we do. We work with people doing what they want to do, what we do. We hold their hand through that process and do it with them. And then we have a fund where we do it for them. And that's where we are today. It's fascinating. Thank you so much for the intro. You know, you mentioned something in there that I just want to hit on real quick. I would imagine that the sense of failure coming from that music industry and then going to bagging groceries is pretty overwhelming. So how did you build up the courage to kind of take a big risk again and jump into real estate? I didn't see it as a risk. I saw it as a bigger risk by staying where I was, right? Because it was all union work. So you had to go through a certain process. You had to, doesn't matter how old you were, what your responsibilities were, what your life experience was. Like you had to start at $7 an hour and then you had to work your way up through that structure. So being 34, I was like, wow, I'm going to be 10 years, I'll be 44 and I'll finally make, be making $20 an hour. Like that was a bigger risk to me than going and trying something new. Hmm. So I wanted something where if I worked hard, I was going to get compensated for my hard work and real estate seemed to be the good best fit. So when you first started, you just jump right into flips or you start buying, buying hmm. holds. How did you first get started on that end? Well, I did what I think what everybody that's contemplating getting started in real estate does is they think they need to go get a real estate license. And I didn't have a whole lot of guidance or mentorship right there in the beginning. So that's exactly what I did. I had an aunt that I hadn't seen in probably 15 years. She just happened to be the uh, number one real estate agent in the city next door. It was two cities over. Had lunch with her. She said, this is how you do it. And she set me up to be a real estate agent. And it took me about four years before I realized, wow, if, if this is that legitimate shot of creating real wealth, I think I'm sitting on the wrong side of the desk. Right. And so I, I made this transition from agent to investor and just kind of vowed to never represent anyone else in a transaction again. I was only going to buy and sell on my own behalf. And so that's how that progression went. What was the turning point where you realized being an agent is the wrong side of the desk and being an investor is the right side of the desk? Yeah, I'd had a couple clients there at the end. I did well as an agent and each year was a little bit better than the previous. And I was able to get a few really good clients investors that bought and sold frequently. And I was their representative. And there was one day where I was sitting, uh, it was on a Saturday. We had an appointment, I think at 1030. I had a bunch of paperwork for them to sign. And they came in, they were probably 20 minutes late. I was dressed up in a suit and tie. They show up in jeans and a t-shirt and they go ahead and they sign the paperwork and they're off to enjoy their weekend. And I'm stuck there and I got to go hold one of their other houses open for the weekend. And I was like, this ain't right. You know, I'm making good money, but I don't have a life. I'm constantly on call. And they were such a good client. I had this with several of my clients. Like they were so good that I had to be like, I had to hop to it. You know, if, if they ever needed me, cause I always had this fear that, gosh, if I don't serve them, they're going to go easily get served by somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I was constantly operating under that fear of losing the client and everything personally I had sacrificed or suffered. During that time, you were generating business, you were generating income. Did you end up handling your own, like when you were doing books, you know, this is a, an accounting type podcast where you end up handling your own books. Did you have someone helping you do it? How'd that end up working yeah. for you? Yeah, I, uh, I was a TurboTax guy. I was terrible at it, at keeping records. I was, I was just shuffling through receipts as we were getting ready to record this. I was like, where does this one go, <laughs> right? I, thank God I've got people for that now. But at the time, and, and this is one of my biggest recommendations, people ask me as they're getting started, what is the first thing that they should do? I said, you need a bookkeeper. You absolutely need a bookkeeper right from the very, very beginning because all of these expenses you're going to accumulate getting started before you ever make money, you're gonna hope you have, you're gonna wish you had records of that because that's all deductible later on. And when you try to go ahead and reverse engineer two years of receipts and bills and expenses like that, it gets very expensive. 
And a, and a bookkeeper can, is a relatively cheap expense for you. And the bookkeeper themselves is even tax deductible. So, well, yeah. you guys already know that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I did it all myself. I did it the wrong way long enough and figured out, you know, I need to get some help. But it was it was a painful experience to go ahead and correct that course after about two years of operations. So how do you go about finding a bookkeeper? And, and let's say that you're starting over again or you're back at the beginning. When do you realize that you need a bookkeeper and how do you even afford a bookkeeper? Right. So there was this other little book you probably never heard of called The 4-Hour Workweek. <laughs> and uh, he told me I could hire somebody in Pakistan for $4 an hour. And that's exactly what I did. And it was okay for a while. But then, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like you need a bookkeeper right from the very beginning. I, I recommend that to everybody. You don't need a full CPA. You don't need a tax financial team. And you don't need this giant infrastructure behind you financially. But you definitely need a bookkeeper to keep track of everything. And so I started with that. And I would just uh, scan receipts, send them over, he'd enter them and make sure they're all categorized and everything. But it got to a point like, okay, this is getting a little big. I need a little bit more in-house treatment or at least somebody local. I just asked for referrals for people like, you got a bookkeeper, you got an accountant, you happy with them. And I uh, had to make my way through a couple before I found a good one, but uh, I landed in a, in a good spot. Cool. So the experience with the overseas bookkeeper, that was a decent experience. Like what went well there and what didn't go so well? Um, it was still kind of labor intensive to me because I still had to save my receipts. I still had to scan them and send them over. Then I had to review the work to make sure that it was all done correctly. And, and so that part was, it was cheap, but I got what I paid for, right? And uh, I would love to say like the language thing wasn't a barrier, but it was a little bit. And I don't think it's so much the language, but it was more of the the culture. They just think differently in other countries, right? And uh they use a lot of superlatives in Pakistan and India. <laughs> I am the best. Why don't you hire me? Like, like <laughs> no one will do better. Like everything is the best or the, the most supreme or the extreme or whatever. It's like, so that, that wore on me a little bit because I couldn't have a conversation. It felt like without, it felt, I don't know if this was actually happening, but it felt like there was a lot of sensitivity and defensiveness. Like they were about to get fired. So all of a sudden they went into hyper cell mode when they were already working for me. And I'm just like, chill, relax. I just need to. I got a question about this one little entry. You know what I mean? So I got past that and uh, just ha- hired someone stateside. So for like investors that have just a couple properties, maybe they don't want to do the books themselves. Outsourcing could be a good option. Any like tips to maximize the effectiveness of that outsource bookkeeper, knowing that it's still going to be a little bit labor intensive, but what can you do to make that the best relationship possible? I mean, as you guys know, there's probably no universal answer for that question, right? Everyone's got a little bit of a different situation depending on they got a couple investment properties. Uh, do they have another side gig or what does their W-2 income look like and how is that categorized? And so there's a lot of different things to take into account. I'm sitting here telling you guys how to do this. That's funny. <laughs> but uh, I think it's such an important thing. And this, if we go come all the way back around to uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and in that book, when he says, you know, the average American is going to give back about 50% of their entire lifetime's income to taxes. And if you're talking about a formula of how to escape the rat race, so you got to increase this monthly income and you got to decrease your monthly expenses. You know, you listen to Susie Orman, she says, stop drinking that $3 coffee every day. Like that's not even going to register on the freaking radar, right? You need to start with your biggest expense first. Let's start there and see how small we can get that. So I was just like, that's such a moronic thing to say. It's like sacrifice your coffee and everything's going to be fine. No, go to work on your tax liability. 
that's where you can make the biggest dent in your livelihood and the biggest dent in your wealth creation. So when you first started out and like, did you go and receive or look for tax advice as you were doing it? Or did you wait to the end of the year to, to start asking for tax advice? Or kind of how did you work through making sure you're using the proper tax strategies right. in your business to reduce your tax liability? You know, I, I think I started maybe at a different place than most people because I, when I had made this transition from agent to investor, I had, uh, I had made a very large investment in an educational program. And it was a very well-rounded program where they actually had a tax person there that taught asset protection and tax planning and tax strategy. So I was probably more well-versed than the average person as they're getting started. And so it went right from the beginning, it was ingrained in me, like, don't wait till the end of the year because now it's too late, right? And don't wait till after the transaction closes to figure out how you're going to take possession or what you're going to do with it, right? And so I understood the value of having connection to your bookkeeping team, your, your CPA and, and your overall financial strategist like year round. Was there anything specific they taught in that course, in that group, um, maybe specific strategies that really, that resonated with you, that helped you save a bunch in, in, in your mind? Um, yes, definitely. I'm just trying to think of like, one was just the difference between, you know, how passive income and active income is taxed by the, by the government. So I understood I want passive income, uh, as much as that, or let's say income for what is, you guys know better than me. There's a difference between the passive income that comes from your real estate and the difference between the income that comes from the note on the real estate. And I've got a good balance of those. So, and then the depreciation and definitely every single, like the number one tax strategy that they had taught there is everybody needs a side business. Everybody has to have a business and because you can really maximize your, your deductions there. And, and then the other part was, I think they use a lot of trusts, right? So the LLC doesn't give people, and this isn't really a tax answer, but I learned it in the same course. Like the LLC doesn't really give people the type of protection that they think they're getting. Like the corporate veil isn't as strong as most people think. And uh, using trust in, in the, those scenarios for, for your asset protection was, was a big lesson as well. And then basically how that, so now it is a tax answer. <laughs> I'm coming all the way around. You're really testing me for everything that I know. Um, so no, but when you pass away in that trust, it's taxed entirely differently when your heirs take over as well. So right. that's a huge benefit because right. boy, the government, when you pass away, if you didn't do it right, they're going to take their piece. I like what you said about the active versus passive income. And I, I wish more people would understand the difference or, or take time to understand the difference because especially, I mean, you probably know being a real estate agent, your income is taxed at self-employment tax rates, the FICA tax rates of 15.3%. Then it's taxed at your marginal tax rates versus rental income from real estate. Even if you have net rental income, you generally have depreciation that offsets it, causes yeah. losses. So you can have positive cash flow, but have a tax loss for tax purposes. And even if you don't have a tax loss, you're not paying at least that FICA tax, that 15.3% tax on the right. passive income that you're generating. So totally. I mean, you can be, be a profit at the bank, but at a loss on paper, right? And, right, and right. exactly. And uh, I remember them showing an example. And this was, gosh, it was like nine years ago, 10 years ago, but I've never forgotten it. It said, uh, you know, if you take the, the average American at the average income, so I think we're right around $45,000 a year is like the median income in the United States. With just a few investment properties, they can virtually eliminate their tax liability altogether, right? And if most people knew that and saw what that would save, I think more people would take real estate a little bit more seriously. Yeah. It's funny, you know, we, we get a lot of prospects, a lot of people that don't have real estate yet. They're thinking about getting an, investing in real estate, but they don't have it yet. They haven't started. 
And so they always want to have consultations with us to, to get the tax strategy in line. And we're always saying, hey, the best thing that you can do for your tax strategy is buy a rental property. <laughs> you don't need us right now. Trust me, yeah. just buy a few rental properties, then come talk to us. But you're going to automatically get that tax efficiency just by investing in the passive income. Yep. I remember that them saying like the first thing is to start a business. The second thing is to buy income property. And if you buy an income property, you inadvertently start a business. So you kind of kill two birds with one stone by just buying the real estate. Absolutely. Are there any tax nightmares that you've gone through that you don't mind sharing with our audience? Hmm. Yes. <laughs> this was a biggie. This was a real nightmare. And I really it made me look at our, our government very differently was when I got out of the music business and I got divorced and I had to file that bankruptcy. And that was a big one because there was a lot of potential money I could owe in the future based off music royalties and record sales and all this stuff. And uh, when I filed bankruptcy and I was alleviated of that debt, I had no idea I was going to be taxed on that relief. And I'm still paying for that a little bit today here, almost a decade later. Yikes. So yeah, that was a big, and I thought by kind of padding my debts to make sure that I didn't owe anybody after the fact. I didn't realize what a disservice I was doing to myself because yeah. I, I really crushed myself. So yeah, that was a nightmare. And it's the one that keeps on giving. Yeah, that's brutal. We, we, we hear about that every once in a while where you just get this phantom income from the debt relief and it wasn't thought of, it wasn't planned for. And all of a sudden you're right, it, it's a nightmare. It's it's terrible too when you look at it and you look at it from like the 30,000 foot views, like the government through their laws will go ahead and screw the private person that you owe, but then they'll say, but you still owe us on income that they wouldn't have gotten. So, I mean, you, they just transferred that debt from the private person over to them. And I was like, that's, I was in a screwed up situation and I feel bad for the people that I owed, but I was like, that's worse that the government, that's why the law is there so they can take it instead of giving it to the private person. Anyway. You know, one of the things also we go in, and, you know, talk with our clients in the real estate CPA is also, you know, making their business efficient through using technology. And I know, you know, I've heard, you know, on your podcast, you often use technology to make your business more efficient. So is there anything on the tech side of the business that you, you know, want to share with our listeners that helps you make your business more efficient? I think one of the things that, that's been really, you know, it seems really simple, but it's probably given us such stronger communication. It's just the free app on your smartphone, Voxer, V-O-X-E-R. And it just works like a little walkie-talkie. And I mean, my inbox is so full. I mean, there's 4,000, I'm looking at it right now, 4,542 unread messages. So if you're listening and you've sent me an email and you haven't got a response, that's why. <laughs> um, and even my text message, now all of a sudden, those that's filled with marketing messages and so the Voxer is just like my own private channel that I deal with my team and how I communicate with my clients. So that's been a game changer, really. And plus, I don't have to type. I can just do it right while I'm driving and you know I'm not distracted or anything like that. So that's probably my favorite piece of technology that I use most. Is it, you know, we also follow the four-hour workweek formula, the eliminate, automate, and then delegate uh, formula. Is there anything uh -huh. that you use that really just helps you automate, automate some of the tasks that you have to do day to day? We built for we we re release a lot of content. I mean, we've got we've got a podcast like you do. Um, we've got a blog. We've got an Instagram account, and we've got a YouTube channel. And now we've got the IGTV thing. So we, we're just doing mass distribution of content, and we've built a really I don't know. I think a slick thing on the the app Trello, project management. And if you have a team, or and you have you can put your tasks, or you can take your processes and put them in step by step tasks. 
that's been a total game changer because now people ask me, how do you release seven episodes a week? And I'm like, well, it's my little secret. And <laughs> my secret is Trello. So each person has their own role. So just kind of, I click my three things off and I drag and drop it over to the next person. They click their things off, they drag and drop it over to the next person and it's an assembly line. So that's been really an efficient tool for us. Yeah, Trello is a great project management tool and I believe it's free up to like a certain a certain amount of usage or something like that. Or maybe yeah, you I get just that. got a message this morning says I'm about to reach my 10,000 message limit. Oh, so, oh. so it looks yeah, like you so upgrade. You can send 10,000 messages and now you <laughs> now I got three more. <laughs> That's been over a year and a half. This is, and I just reached that. So, so you produce a lot of content. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to the benefits, I guess, of producing this content and maybe how like a, an investor who has a portfolio, why they should care about producing content? Um, I stepped into, I mean, we've had our podcast, we're going on our ninth year. So I've been doing it for a really long time. When I started, I had no idea what I was getting into. I had no idea that I was doing the right thing at the right time when I did it. I was really just trying to sell a book. And I thought that would be one good channel to market the book. But what it's turned into is it's allowed me you know, for history, like we've had four channels, right? We're, we're three channels, ABC, NBC, and CBS, and, and they've reached the masses. They've controlled the message. They've controlled the media. And, you know, you had to pay heavy to play on that game and on that level. And because of the internet, those uh, vehicles or those platforms are like becoming less and less valuable. And things like YouTube and, and an Instagram or a podcast are becoming more and more valuable. And so the average person for relatively no budget at all can reach a large volume of people. So it's your advertisement. So if you have a business and you're looking to generate customers, I mean, the exposure is essentially free right now. I don't know how long that's going to last, but we've been on a good run. And it also, with all these different forms of media, it allows your, your customer or your prospective customers to get to know you. I mean, I hear it all the time when I do finally meet somebody, they will say, I feel like I know you already. And it's just makes for really good business. And because you can be 100% yourself on these platforms, you attract people that are just like you. And so it makes, the, with the customers that you work with, it, it makes work much more fun. And, it, and everything just lives out there forever. We still get clients like, I've been listening to you for five years and I just decided to send you an email today, <laughs> right? And so I don't know, I kind of forget the original question that you had asked, but it's, <laughs> it's been- okay. That was a great answer. <laughs> yeah, I think every company should become a media company first. I really do. You know, we, we talk about it a lot too. So Thomas is our kind of like main marketing guy at this point, and he's done a great job building everything out. It's the same kind of thing. Like for CPAs, there's not a lot of CPA firms out there that are producing content. And I'm, I'm assuming my understanding with the real estate space too, even amongst our clients, we have hundreds of clients. We maybe have two that actually focus on producing content. So while it might look like there's a lot of content being produced, there's really not a lot of players in the content space, which mm-hmm. is a great way to like build a brand that lasts forever. Once yep. it's out there, it's out there and there's not a lot of competition. Yep. yep. I would imagine you know, right now is the best time to do that if you haven't already started because as time goes on, more and more people will be getting on the bandwagon and it's getting more and more cluttered uh, to search. I feel like if going forward in the future, if you're not on the internet, if you can't get search results, whether it be on YouTube, Google, or whatever the platform is, you're not going to be found. And the people who are on those platforms will be found. And now is the time to take that virtual real estate, if you will, and make sure that, that your presence is known. Is, you know, is that, does, that, does that kind of make sense? 100%. Yeah, I think anyone... And I'm kind of the type of person that was 
slow to Facebook. I was really slow to Instagram. I did the podcast just because I, I had a reason to do it. But I look now at, based on just kind of what I've done in the last 24 months or so, that if you're not on it, you're going to lose. You're going to be really behind. You're going to be at an extreme disadvantage um, if you are not using it for whether it's a personal brand, which I think there's a lot of value there. Even if you are a, a, an employee at a corporate job, creating a personal brand and creating a following, like there's the possibilities I think are going to be endless with that type of attention in the future. But if you have a business and you're not on the internet, oh my God, you I think your, your days are numbered. I mean, look at giants like, like Toys R Us, right? That's, I mean, that's been a staple in my life, my entire life. And uh, they're just no longer in existence because they didn't want to play the game. So the rules keep on changing. We just have to learn the new rules and keep playing because even money is totally different than what it used to be. I mean, you can't save enough to retire anymore. Like the numbers just don't pan out unless you just have this massive income. Mm-hmm. But the average person, even a six-figure, $100,000 a year earner, takes an amazing amount of discipline, an amazing amount of luck, right? With, with the stock market or your investments and an amazing amount of fortune with regard to hopefully you don't get sick somewhere along the way, right? And that wipes you out. So I think you have to have a run. Yeah, you have to run a business. You just can't do it any other way these days. And if you're running a business, you've got to be exposing yourself and spreading your message through, uh, through all the different media channels that are available to us. Would there be any other advice that you want to share with our listeners, you know, outside of what we talked about today that would really help them grow their business or run their business more efficiently? Or is there anything that you think that would help them in, in, the, in their future? Sure. Looking back, one is I wish I would have known about masterminds and coaches much earlier on. I doubt if I'd have been able to afford them much earlier on. But I look at the progress and the speed of that progress because of just buying my way in, essentially. Right. So I think that has been huge by, by accessing mentors in that way. If you can have a, if you're fortunate enough to have a mentor that's a, that's a family friend or you have a relationship with them and you can get access to that person for free, by all means, leverage that as much as you can. But if you don't buy your way in, that's one thing. The second thing would be every time some sort of financial transaction is about to happen, ask yourself the question, how can I turn this into a stream of cash rather than just taking this pile of cash? Right, I think really focusing on a residual income is essential. So those will be the first two things. And then the third thing, and maybe kind of leads into the first one, is just be very intentional about creating your environment, where you spend your time and who you spend your time with. Peer pressure, as we all were, probably were first privy to that word in high school at one point, where you don't want to hang around the bad kids because you're going to get this peer pressure placed upon you and you're going to end up doing bad things. Well, peer pressure, it works both ways. You hang around good people doing good things and all of a sudden it becomes some sort of pressure for you to perform well also. You you find yourself in different conversations. You find yourself with different resources available to you. You find yourself with different opportunities available to you. So I would say be intentional about creating your environment. Be intentional about finding a mentor or a coach within that environment. And three, uh, whatever business that you pursue, figure out how you can create a stream of cash from it. Hmm. Agree with 100% of everything you just said. You know, it's something that resonates with me specifically here is knowing what environment you're going to thrive in, making sure you're around the right people. Because once you're around the right people, things really start to take off. If real estate is your passion, get around people who are passionate about real estate. You know, don't hang around uh, the type of people who are going to bash your dreams. And, you know, if if you do that, um, you're just going to spin around circles and uh, it's going to lead to failure and it's going to lead to probably a lot of pain as well. So I really resonate with what you just said. So what would be the best way for our listeners to contact you if they wanted to get in touch with you? 
Well, sure. I, I think the, the most logical place was they're listening to a podcast, so they know how to find a podcast. They're fans of podcasts. So we've got ours. It's Epic Real Estate Investing. So you can go there. And then uh, if you'd like to dig a little bit deeper, we just started a new pilot program where we're helping people do their first or their next deal using little to no money. And that's totally free. And they can join us there at freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. Very simple, freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. So those are probably the two best places. Awesome, awesome. Well, we definitely appreciate you coming on here, Matt. Great to have you on the show. I'm a big fan of your podcast as well. Um, been listening to it for the last two years or so. Oh, thank you. And um, thanks again. Yeah, you bet. Take care, guys. Let's do it again. Stay in touch. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.